This episode of the Antlers and Hicks podcast is brought to you by Bloodline Custom Calls. I've been a fan of Bloodline Custom Calls for several years now. I've, I've gotten in touch and, and gotten a good friendship with Jason Cooper and the boys over at Bloodline, and they make some of the best turkey calls I've heard. They also have some outstanding merchandise, so go check them out. BloodlineCustomCalls.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Check out Bloodline Custom Calls. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. If you guys are like me, you're already putting out your trail cameras, gathering information, and finding out when these deer are actually going to be moving so that when the opening day of bow season comes in, you're ready to roll. Well, I got a full-time job, I got a family, and I'm trying to get this podcast off the ground, so my time is kind of limited. Enter the Wise Eye Smart Cam from Wise Eye Technology. Man, this camera is the legit camera on the market right now, and I'm going to tell you why. It's because it takes the guesswork out of patterning these deer. What it does is when the camera takes a picture, it's just like any other cell cam, it's going to take a picture and send it to you, but it goes through hunt control. It uses hunt control. Now, what is hunt control? Hunt control, basically, when the picture is sent to hunt control, it has a GPS in there that tells hunt control where the picture was taken. Hunt control then gathers the data of the weather and the time of day and it starts pinpointing and breaking down all this information on when these animals were moving so that you can start patterning future activity that's right takes all the guesswork out of you having to figure out okay well what was the weather like this day and well what was the what was the time of day no oh, let's take it out hunt control does that for you it is a very very nice system it's not just a trail camera it's a complete hunting package. Go check them out yourself, wiseeyetech.com. That's wise eye, like your eyeball. Tech, like the university.com. Wiseeyetech.com. Go check them out. Also, you can buy them on the Hog Fathers website, hogfathers.com. That's hog with two G's in the digital outdoor store on Amazon. Now, look, guys, I'm telling you, these cameras are impressive. Go check them out. You're really going to like what you see. So before we get started with the podcast, I want to remind you guys, September the 15th, the North Monroe Baptist Church is having a huge sportsman's banquet. Man, this thing is going to be nice. We're going to be raising money for outside missions. Uh, Got a lot of stuff to raffle off. Going to have a trip to Africa, all kind of hunting gear. You know, I'm going to be there anyway, so I told the guys, you know, hey, uh, you mind if I bring my scoring gear and we'll just tell anybody that wants to bring a whitetail up there, bring it. I'll be scoring for the Buckmaster Whitetail Trophy records. And like I said in one of my posts the other day, man, I don't care if it's your kid's first six point or if it's your granddaddy's deer from 1968. If you've never had it scored, bring it. I'm telling you, we will sit down. I may even bring my podcast gear. So come on in. Tickets are $50. Um, get with me if you need a ticket. I can tell you how to get tickets. Just send me a message on Facebook, uh, and we will get this going. Again, September the 15th, at five, doors open at 5.30, and then the dinner starts at 6.30 at North Monroe Baptist Church. Also, guys, go to my Facebook page. Check out my outdoor gear, my caps, my shirts. Rep the brand. Uh, caps are $25 in person, $30 shipped, and shirts are going to be $20 in person and $25 shipped. So let's hear from Glenn Harris. 
you know, Mr. Glenn, you are to me the voice and the words of the outdoors in North Louisiana. Well, thank you for saying that, Greg. It's uh, It's been a long time coming, you know, to kind of build up to that point. But uh, it's uh, just an honor for me to get to do what I do. Yes, sir. Yes. So how long have you been doing it? My column last week indicated that uh, I just celebrated 50 years of being a, having an outdoor column. 50 years? 50 years. My goodness gracious! How have you seen a lot change in this air in in the outdoors? In oh yeah, years? yeah. When well, I started. Could you let me tell you how it all started? Tell me how from from Genesis. Give it to me from Genesis. No revelation, Genesis. <laughs> I lived in Homer, and I had uh, kind of become a fan of reading some of these outdoors, especially Chris Gresham, Mm -hmm. because that was the, uh, you know, he was a friend of my daddy, and he was from Niagara's Parish like I was, and uh, I just would read his stuff, and I thought, gosh, it must be something. So one day, Greg, I sat down, and I wrote a story, and when I got through with that story, I was thinking, good gosh almighty, what have I created here? So I said, I'm going to write Gris Gresham and just see if he can uh, maybe suggest which one of the big three magazines might want. Most, I don't want to fight over it, you know. But uh, So I had the <laughs> nerve or the ignorance or whatever to send the uh, column to Gris Gresham. Never, you know, what surprised me is that he responded. And I was kind of let that. No, I wasn't kind of let down. I was really let down because Grit said, I think you might have a little trouble placing this column. But if you're interested in being a writer, it's just, you got to, and I remember, still remember the phrase he used, you got to hone your craft. You got to, just like any other job or anything else you do, you've got to work at it and just improve and find out all you can about it. So after that bit of discouragement, uh, a few years later, I was li- living in Homer, and I walked into the weekly newspaper, the Guardian Journal there in Homer, and uh, I was nervous, and I asked the lady who was the editor then, Ms. Hightower, I said, I'd kind of like to write a hunting and fishing column for the paper. I didn't even know to call it outdoor column, and she smiled, looked at me, said, I don't think so. And you know what my reaction was? What's that? Relief. I thought, Lord, if she <laughs> told me I had to do it, I, I, I don't know if I could have done it. Six months later, I was in there, and she said, you still want to write that column? And I said, yeah. So I started in September of 1972, September 21st, I believe, and I turned had my first column published. And I go back and look at it today, and I thought, my gosh. That's awful. <laughs> she she paid me, you know, a pretty good deal, two dollars and fifty cents a week in a free paper, and that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of moved on from there. And uh, I wrote, I learned as I went. You know, I didn't belong to any or- writers' organizations. I didn't major in journalism, anything like that. But the uh, opportunity she gave me to do it 
just meant so much to me. And uh, then later, a few years later, I moved to Ruston, and somebody in Ruston had read the Homer paper, the Guardian Journal, and suggested to Tom Kelly, who was the editor of the uh, uh, later, Ruston Daily Leader, said, you know, you might want to see about getting Glenn Harris to write a column. So he contacted me. I did start writing for the Leader. Same thing happened a few years later. Somebody suggested Streetport Journal didn't have a outdoor writer. And so put me in touch with Stan Tyner, who was the editor of the Streetport Journal. He hired me to do that, too. So it's just kind of been a growing thing from there. And then from there, it went on to you know, trying my hand at magazines and so forth. And uh, then eventually got into outdoor radio. And uh, it's just been a fun thing, Greg. It really has. So, and I tell you, Mr. Glenn, you have, at grow, and I just want to share this with you. Growing up as a little boy, um, during the summertime, I stayed with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when school was in and or out and he was retired. And so he and I would piddle around the day and I couldn't wait for the for him for, to go inside because I knew he'd got the, the news star. Mm-hmm. And I knew exactly where I was going to go when your article was published. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mean, as a little fella. And, you know, Glenn Harris, you were a big deal. I don't know if you will say that because you're a very humble person. But in my eyes here, I mean, your name just, you, you were, like I said before, the voice and the words for what we love to do. And then you wow. painted those pictures so well that, oh, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, you, I guess you could say, in my opinion, for my generation, I know Mr. Gritz was, was your mentor, but you were, to us, you're the godfather. Of all of this, I think everybody that does anything right here can always hone it back to Glenn Harris and what all you used to bring to us. Well, and I've got to give credit for it. Really do. The good Lord gave me the ability to put stuff down in words uh, in that way that folks could relate to. And, of course, doing it over the years, it's uh, uh, improved. You learn stuff. Oh, absolutely. uh, So it's just been fantastic well i'll never forget the first time i started writing you know we were doing a little thing on buy you bucks on the internet and i emailed you i didn't know your number i didn't know anything i just i found your email on the internet and i emailed you and you told me exactly that story about mr grish you said if you're going to be good at writing you got to write you get it you just gotta do it you can't just all of a sudden one day be a great writer because no. I was lousy. I ain't kidding you. So, <laughs> but I had the, the desire and the burning in me to do it. And uh, it, it, it's just, uh, that that was key. But again, like I say, the good Lord gave me the ability to do that. And I have been so blessed to do something. You know, here I am. I ain't young no more, Greg. Mm. But to be able to, all 50 years, to do something you absolutely love, can't wait each week to sit down and get to write another column, is a blessing that, that comes from on high, my boy. Oh, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. You know, when I drove up in your driveway, and I do this before I do anything, whether it's write, whether it's do a podcast interview, or just whatever with somebody, I just say, Lord, please just just give me the words to, to you know, to make this really something for this person. Not necessarily for me, but, you know, when I was riding over here, I thought about what you, you said, do you want me to meet you somewhere? Mm-hmm. And do you know why I wanted to come to your house? Wow. Because in all the years, has anybody ever come to you? 
one person. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You, 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 to do what we do, you have to go to people. Well, it's mm-hmm. time that somebody comes to Mr. Glenn and sits down and talks with Mr. Glenn. And I, I, I thought about that. I said, no, we're going to do this the right way. You know, if he's going to be my interview, I'm going to treat him just like he's always treated everybody else and, and give him that. Well, so I knew that. I appreciate it. Yes. So now let's go back to your, uh, where were you born? I was born and I grew up in the big city of Goldonna, Louisiana, which is down in Natchitoches Parish. And uh, I grew up with my daddy. Uh, worked for wildlife and fisheries. Mm-hmm. He was a predator control supervisor. He was a wolf trapper, they called him back then, back when they had red wolves. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I developed a love for the, the uh, outdoors, uh, that segment of it. He took us hunting, took us fishing, and so forth, through my daddy. But then my mama, she was, uh, she loved birds. She loved little creatures and so we'd set out sometimes my brother and sister and I with mama and we'd see who uh, she'd point it out to who'd see the first star we'd catch lightning bugs and put them in a jar for a little while before we turned them loose so I always said and then if a bird she heard a bird in the yard she didn't know what it was she'd go get her old ragged old bird book till she found it so I always said mama taught me the softer side of the outdoors to go along with the, the hunting and fishing stuff my daddy taught me to do, taught me or uh, work with me for with so i was blessed to have parents you know with both ends of the spectrum hardcore hunting fishing to the soft side that mama uh, gave us that's ironic you said because i've often wondered how you know i see you do a lot of softer things like the birds mm-hmm. you know you, and i'll even send you a picture and i say mr glenn what kind of bird is this because i know you have a strong knowledge of that and that's exactly where it came from. I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I just have always had a, over there is a whole bunch of bird books mm-hmm. that I have. My daughter gave me that for Christmas. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I'm interested in birds just to know what they are. You know, if a strange one shows up, I'm going to go dig in my books and I'll find out what it is. And... You, I see you looking over there at the turkey thing. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was. I accidentally got in turkey hunting. Did you? Uh, back in '92, I believe it was. Uh, a fellow, an outdoor writer friend of mine from Alabama, John E. Phillips. You see his name in all the big magazines. He contacted me one day and said, uh, "I want you to come over here to Alabama and uh, go on a turkey hunt." And I said, John, man, it's April. You know them big old bramble bedded over here, and the bass are in the shallows. And uh, I, 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 I just don't know if I can leave that. And uh, he said, well, I'll send you an airplane ticket. I got you a guideline. To, I gave, got you all the camo clothes you need and a shotgun. I said, I believe in brim can wait. I think so. <laughs> so I went over there, and that old guy in that top picture up there uh, called in the, the first gobbler that I ever saw. And now I said right then, and I never never will forget that. We got over, and I heard that thing gobble on the roost back there. I'd never heard one before. And then in a minute, I looked, and I saw that 
I thought of the white softball coming through the woods, and I said, that turkey to you. That sucker came up there strutting, drumming, and doing all they do. And I, I, I really, I thought my shirt pocket was going <laughs> to be ripped off. You know, my heart was beating so well. Killed that bird, and I made a vow right then. I said, I may never kill another, but I'm going to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. So, and I have been blessed since then. I've uh, got the Grand Slam. I got to kill turkeys in Alabama and Texas and Florida, South Florida. And then the, the ultimate one was to get, to get to go to South Dakota and get my Miriams to finish up the Grand Slam. So That's a beautiful photograph. It's been a blessing. It really has. And, uh, now you don't you you and I talked you know several years ago. You don't do much turkey hunting anymore, do you? No, I don't. I can't. Yeah, I just can't. To me, turkey hunting requires you have you hear him over you know, you got to go to him, and I can't do that anymore. My back messed up, and so all I got is I can get to rely on my memories of the good hunts that I had. And you know that's what a lot of people you know that don't do what we do. They don't understand about turkey fans on the wall and deer horns on the wall. Is it's not necessarily just showing it off it's when you are years past that moment you can look back at that turkey fan and you can tell me every aspect about that hunt oh yes sir and that's what it is it's memories it's it's just it's a it's a memento from that 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 shining star in our life yeah it kind of like that deer hunt i had the it was a reluctant entry into deer hunt i lived in homer and uh I love squirrel hunting. I had a buddy that he and I would hunt together until, up until deer season opened, and I'd lose my buddy. Cause, and he just kept on after me. He said, you go try deer hunting. I said, man, I don't know a thing about that. I don't even have a gun. He said, you got a shotgun? Yeah. Buckshot? I'll get some. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I went with him up to Summerfield and uh, to meet with the uh, a group, Bill Bailey, uh, is the guy that had the the, the deer dogs, and uh, so we got strung out on the pipeline that morning, my first deer hunt ever. And the dogs, they turned them loose out there, and I was just like dogging closer and closer. And about that time, a ten point buck come busting out of the woods and hit that pipeline, run right in front of me, wasn't fifteen yards from me, and I went boom, boom, boom. And he hit the ground. Well, my buddy, when he came up there to me, he said, Glenn, that's a good deer, but why'd you shoot him three times? I said, well, he, he was still standing up. He said, heck, you got to give him time to fall. <laughs> I shot half his horns off. But anyway, that was my first deer. That was my introduction deer hunt. And I, that's something else I don't get to do much anymore. Some of my hunting club members uh, have you know, suggested, well, come on, we'll set you in the stand, and, you know, if you shoot a deer, and I, I don't want to do it that way. If I can't do it the way I used to, I'm, again, going to just rely on the good memories that I've had down through the years. Yes, sir. And, and you know, you got the turkeys, and I look back, you know, y'all, to paint the picture of his office, you know, it's it's a it's an, an average-sized room. He's got inlet, I mean, uh, built-in cabinets, and they are full of books and memorabilia and photographs, and then you go all the way to the back, and there's a eight-point shoulder mount, and that is a absolutely beautiful shoulder mount. I don't know who did it for you. And the eight-point, y'all, is roughly around 17, 18 inches wide. He scored just a little under 140. I was going to say he's probably a high 130s deer. Very, very nice deer. What would you shoot that deer at? 
I shot him with my rifle about one mile from here. For real? From where I was sitting. Yeah, but then our little, we had a little hunting club just north of here, about 500 acres. And it was, again, a story. It was uh, 98 when we had that big ice storm. I don't know, Brian, it was close to Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And I had finished my work, got all my columns in that I needed to do, and I had a little time. I told my wife, I said, I think I'm going to run and go sit on there stand a bit. Well, I went to my first stand, and... It was already icing up. I couldn't climb. I'm scared to climb it. You know, like the steps were all icy. So I said, well, I'll just drive around to the other one, and uh, I can at least sit in that stand. Well, when I pulled onto that little little food plot, little pipeline type thing, I looked down there, and I thought, dang, how'd a cow get in this pipeline? <laughs> I got to look, and he raised it. I said, that ain't no cow. He was eating my clover just before the, it really got bad. And Greg, I just my gun was in a pad in, in the gun case behind my seat. I was in my truck. I reached back there, got my gun, unzipped it, jacked the bullet in, rolled my window down, propped on the window. It was two hundred and seventy-one yards, and I shot. He took off. I said, "Well, at least I've shot at a big one." And I went down there and got to looking. Just uh, ain't no point in it, and. Uh, about where he was, and I, I just had him look over there. That sucker laid. I had put it. It was so far that the bullet stuck on the other side of 270. Right didn't out even of come juice. out. It, yeah. Laid him down. I've it all. You know, that's, that's, that's ironic you say, tell that story. I, and I know that within all of your experience in writing about big bucks, you would probably say the same thing that I will say. There's a secret. Every hunter's got a secret, and that secret is they were in the woods when they killed it. That's it. That is the only, that is the surefire way. <laughs> you know, everybody's got their tactics and their strategies, but the number one thing that everybody's got in common is they were hunting. Oh, yeah, and a lot of it is you just happen to be there at the right time. Exactly. When it's your time to kill a big one, mm-hmm. it's just your time. It doesn't matter if you're riding up to your stand and you're in a pickup truck and he's down there at 271 yards. And, you know, the only reason you were there is because it had iced over. That's I mean, it. there's a lot of, of things that went into play for that moment yeah. to come together. Yeah, now, if it hadn't been so iced, I'd have been uh, climbed up in blood and wasn't the same thing properly. Mm-hmm. But that's the way it happened. That was good. Now, you, your dad was a, was the wolf catcher, right? Wolf he trapper. was the trapper, yes. Did you ever see a red wolf? Oh, have you ever seen Yeah, it? all kind of. Uh, when I used to go, go with him uh, to run his traps when I was a kid, uh, that'd be, uh, you know, he kept, he all all especially like Wind Parish, Nagas Parish, where we live, and they were, you know, they were destructive. Mm-hmm. But he also kind of realized when the red wolf started numbers started diminishing, he then began to work with them to try to uh, save them, you know. And now you know the what they have now are just in a. Uh, enclosure or protected place over North Carolina, what few there are left. But yeah, I had some great experiences with Daddy uh, and all kind of fun things. In fact, one time, if I can tell this little story, tell one time all. I went with him to run his traps it was a hot summer morning, dry, and he uh, there'd been a bobcat harassing him, so he had trapped for a bobcat. Well, we went up, and the way he did his traps, he would use a, about an eight-foot drag chain with a drag hook uh, 
attached to it, to the, and then the other end of the trap, and he'd bury all that, and cover it just nicely. Well, we went there that morning, that trap was gone. He said, well, something got in it. Could have been an armadillo, skunk, coon, anything. Could, no track, because it was so dry. And he said, well, let's spread out. I'm going to go this way, you go this way, and see if you can find any evidence. So I was walking along there, and probably got as close here to that chair, and I noticed there was a log there that Mark had been knocked fresh off of. Now, what is that? And something caught my eye, and I looked, and right about <laughs> 10 feet high was a big old bobcat sitting in that bush. I was fixing to walk under, and he, I have never, I don't know if I've ever been that scared in my life. That sucker was looking right at me, and I thought, Daddy, <laughs> here he is. But I thought I'd fix and get slapped on the head by a big old bobcat. If but you anyway, took a few was, more steps, you would have been. I would have. I sure would have. So it was it was fun. It really was a fun time uh, to be out with him. I want to show you something here. Can I show you something? Yeah, yeah. Daddy was a trapper, and one time in the Natchitoches Parish, there was a report of a cougar and uh so uh daddy found his track and he poured a plaster wow. of paris uh plaster of paris uh thing of, of, of the track of that cougar he didn't catch him but the cougar stepped in his trap one day that it had rained the night before and then washed sand up on it the trap didn't see it so anyway that was the story of the wow. Agnes paris cougar 1949 1940 that is impressive mr glenn yeah. whoops so, um, now, have you always done the outdoor writing thing, or what did you do? You know, when you graduated well, high school, what did you do? Well, I went to Northwestern, went to college, and majored in business education. I started out in, in business administration, but those accounting courses were too hard, so I switched to education because they weren't. I could make it through. And I was I was just an average C student, got out to grad, glad to do it. And uh, my first job was teaching school at Shongaloo High School up in Webster Parish. Shongaloo, mm-hmm. you got they got a pipe sunshine in Shongaloo. Yeah, well, they just about do, yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I was familiar because there's a lot like gold on this uh-huh. town. But uh, I had uh, I taught. I think they dumped on me what was left. I taught my. Of course, I was a business major, so I taught it business i taught shorthand taught typing and then they put me in some history class it was fun and that was what uh since 1959 that's a long time ago just last week i ran into one of my old students really who i taught in the 10th grade he will soon be 80 years old <laughs> my word <laughs> so, i ain't gonna tell you how old i am but it's on, i'm on the fur but anyway <laughs> That, you know, that was my first job. And then after that year, I, I, probably because I had to make a living some way, they paid me $257 a month, which was my salary for that. Then I got into sales, so I went, worked at a, a West Brothers store in Mansfield. Got a job up there, worked there a while. Hated it just because I was closed in there six days a week, daylight to dark, mold, shotgun, and rod and reel sitting at the corner gathering dust. Was no fun. And then uh, 
Uh, after that, I sold insurance for a year. Then I took a civil service test and got a job. I, I, I took the test for it was for to work for the employment office, you know, one of those people that do that. But that position was already filled, but there was an opening at the welfare department in Natchitoches. And I went over and interviewed for them, and they hired me. So I thought, I'm working for the welfare, which I did for 30 years. I, I worked, did that as a welfare worker for uh, several years, and I went to graduate school at LSU and got my graduate degree in social work. Moved up, was supervisor for an office in Wynn Parish, and ultimately moved to Homer, mm-hmm. where I was the head of that office up there. And wound up, and then I've got a chance to come to Ruston and do this one, be the head of the office here, and wound up the last year, they had uh, needed somebody in Jonesboro. That's where I retired. That was six, I mean, 92, 91 or 92, like that. So that was my career, and while I was doing that, I was starting to do my writing business mm-hmm. on the side. So that that would have been around about the time that I was probably late 80s, early 90s, when I was really honing in on your column mm-hmm. and seeing what you were doing and, you know, the, the fishing updates and you'd write articles on hunting. I love to see what, you know, because I was always a hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did a little brim fishing, but, man, when you wrote something about deer hunting, man, I was, boom, zeroed <laughs> in on it, and it's just... It's just been a good, uh, good yeah. experience to get to, you know, you you are very integral in a lot of people's lives. Do do people ever tell you that? Have you ever thought about that? How how much you've affected people? Well, I hear it occasionally, but I take it with a grain of salt because I know me, you know, just a country boy that doing something I love. Mm-hmm. And all the years of writing, you have a uh, anything that stands out? Just really stands out to you like that. I don't know if there's any one particular one. I guess probably the some of the ones that I wrote that qualify. You know, I, I wound up joining the Louisiana Outdoor Writers Association. I joined the Southeastern Outdoor Press Association and the Outdoor Writers Association of America. And in the Southeastern and in Louisiana, I was been. I remember the first one. Oh, uh, I got a plaque somewhere. I had, I just, you know, they were, they had a writing contest, Southeastern Outdoor Press, and I, my, I'd right after my daddy died, and I wrote a column about memories of my daddy, and I uh, sent it in. I, you know, not any expecting to do anything. But one day I got in the mail a plaque. I'd won second place. And over the whole southeast in my column. I thought, dang, how'd that happen? But since then, I've been blessed so much because I'm uh, being an active member of those last two southeastern and Louisiana outdoor riders. I've won some awards, you mm-hmm. know, some of them over on the wall, and uh, it's just been a blessing. And getting to rub elbows with some of the professional, real, professional writers that have been doing it a long time has helped me so much and maybe i've helped some of the younger ones myself uh, too you have trust me well <laughs> i hope so that that would be my prayer that i would be able to 
you know, rub a little something off that I'd learned on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So who would, of, all, of the, the famous outdoor writers and the, the guys that are, you know, like you were saying, something to really talk about, who who stands out the most? Well, of course, that's Chris Gresham. He was the probably the original one that uh, inspired me. But then getting to go to meetings and meet people like Homer Circle, the famous guy from fisherman from Florida, uh, all kinds of Tim Tucker, Jim Cassidy, uh, and I just got to be dear friends with some of them. Like I got a buddy in Little Rock, Keith Sutton, that he is a well-known writer in all sorts of publications. He and I made, we've deer hunted together in Alabama. We've uh, made a bass fishing trip to Mexico, to Lake Guerrero, with all kinds of stuff like that. So it, I couldn't, it's hard to pin down anyone because all of them have just been, because uh, they've shared with me, they've helped me, they've given me suggestions and so forth and just inspired me. It's interesting that you you, you talk about the different places outdoor riding has taken you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, did you ever think you'd see places like that? No. Coming out of Goldana? I actually, of course, it was partly because my two son-in-laws are, uh, were career military people. They lived all over the world. I got to bass fish in Hawaii. I got to bass fish in Spain, uh, in New England, and uh, of course, and, and then that Alabama turkey thing was, uh, I'd go back every year, you know, with this guide that guided for that first one. He and I got to be friends, and I went back there for several, several years. He's passed away now. In fact, I even had him here to come home with me here. But uh, I'd go out there and uh, kill turkeys in Alabama for several years after that. So it's just been, I don't know how I, I could, how, how I could say I would, could have been more blessed in what this career has done for me. It is really, you know, you have really, I didn't realize you'd gotten to do so much and and mm-hmm. be a part of so much. That is a very good life, let me yeah. tell you. That is, makes a great story. It's sure been a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I see this double double barrel shotgun. Is that a double? Yes, I see the that's, double. That's, uh, that was my shotgun that when I went to Alabama, killed my first turkey. It's a muzzle loader. Oh, okay. That is <laughs> that is impressive. I like that. That is a very unique um, piece of weaponry, man. That, yeah. That is go- gorgeous. They gorgeous. had that there. They just, you know, they tried to uh, uh, do something, you know, for like the muzzle load. That I don't, know, I don't remember what brand it is, but uh, they promote it. You know, they want the sponsors to hunts like that. You know, this the the last. Well, I would guess to say probably it started around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. In my opinion, the hunting world started to change a little because you had more trail cameras being run. You had social media. You had a lot of things that were promoting the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a lot of change? Oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah, my in fact, I, last week I don't know if you read my column last week where I talked about my fifty years at it and how I started was a yellow tablet and a number two pencil and a gallon of white out. Well, first of all, I'd write it 
scratch to it and finally get the column I wanted. I had an old manual typewriter. I'd type it on it. That's where the whiteout came in. I just have to, you know, where now you just make a mistake, you just go back and correct it. But back in the those days, you know, you had to go back and blot it out and try to do it right. But yeah, a lot of lot of changes, and it it uh, nowadays it's almost gotten past me on technicality stuff. I know they even in the southeastern outdoor press, the uh, be to enter a writing contest. You know, I used to do that either. I'd just send them a column, you know, make copies like they wanted and enter. Now everything's got to be uh, some way online. you got to jump through hoops that I just said, I ain't going to do that. I'm going to be satisfied with, <laughs> with with the ones I want. So when you would, like back early days, well, how would you get, how would you submit an article? Oh, to the paper? Uh-huh. Mail them. You'd mail it. Mm-hmm. When I was writing for the New Star, I would, before then, though, I would type it out, get it like I wanted to, take it to uh, Scott Boatwright. Mm-hmm. He lived, he worked over there then. I'd take it to his house, and before then, I'd take it to Greg Hilburn's house. I remember his name. I'd take him the column, and he'd take it over there uh, for me. And uh, so that was, you know, had to make a run every morning to, or every one day a week anyway, to go get my column to the courier, mm-hmm. <laughs> either Scott or Greg, to take it over there. And it's, this is what simplified things so much. Oh, the yeah, computer the computer. Yeah. I just, and I used to, like I told you, writing on a yellow tablet and a pencil, you know, it took me a while to realize that's just wasting a little time. I decided to give it a try, just type directly to it. And the more I've done it, the easier that's become. And so that's, I wouldn't consider handwriting anything to start with now. I tell you, you know, writing um, articles on deer, you know, when people kill a deer, you tell their stories. I started doing that in 2009 or 10. I think it was 9, 2009. And all I would do is I just had a piece of paper and my, my pen, and I would just write, you know, the, the notes out on that. And then I, you know, I did that for like two years. And then finally, I'm like, man, there's got to be a better way. And I found an app on my phone that was a voice recorder. Oh, and I that's when I started that. recording. That's what I use now. I've got a little little gizmo here that I will wear this thing out in deer season because hopefully they'll let me do it again. But uh, I... Uh, Find out about, and I use the internet a lot, Facebook a lot. When people say, you know, killed a big deer, well, I'll contact them, tell them I write for Lieutenant Sportsman, and uh, they, you know, want to do, would like to do a story on them. And most of them are fine. They want to do it. They'll send me a picture. They'll send me a, a, their contact number. I'll call them. I'll record it on that thing, and I'll transcribe it here, write my story, and that's the easiest thing. That's something I love. I did a 40-something last season, I believe, and I'm hoping I get to do it again. That's a year. lot of deer, Mr. Uh, and they have to meet, not only is it just a lot of deer, that's a lot of deer that met the criteria. Dang right. And it starts out, if he's not a 140-inch, I can't write about him. 
Then a little bit later, they say, we're getting too many of them. Move it up to 150. Mm -hmm. And then 160. So by the time the season's over, I'm riding about some shore and those big Some big ones, ones that's right. Well, by the time that, that comes in is when the, the, the east side of the state starts to come in along the Mississippi River, and that's when, if you're going to get one of those, that's where they're going to come from, yeah, nine but times it's out just, of ten. I enjoy doing that. That's that's most, other than my, my my newspapers, I write for, I think, seven a week now, same column, but uh, starts with mainly Ruston, but I write for Farmerville, Homer, uh, the uh, Wichita Citizen over in Monroe, one in Winsboro, one in Gina. And then there's something else new that has just kind of come up is these uh, journals that some of the, I don't know if you've seen them, like Freeport Bossier Journal, mm -hmm. the Lincoln Parish Journal, and uh, the uh, several parish. Well, I write for four of those journals now, too, in addition to my regular newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, so. I know with the Freeport, that's the big one that covers. Big, you know, they get a lot of readership. They do most of sports stuff, but they wanted me. And my buddy, old Teddy Allen, that mm -hmm. uh, used to live here in Ruston, a well-known humor writer, uh, recommended me for that. So I write for them every week too. Okay. Well, I tell you, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of of uh, publicity you got there, Mister Glenn. I know what that's. It's just a lot of I, I reach. I've reached out to lots of people. What magazines have you written for? Well, I have oh, down through the years. I have. I used to be my goal if I could make the big three, mm -hmm. and I did. I've written in Outdoor Life, Sports of Field. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, Field, a field, field and stream, stream. Yeah. yeah. Written for all them, written for Bassmaster, Turkey Call, uh, used to be one Southern Outdoors. So, a good many. Mm -hmm. I've written one book. Really? And, and all it was was a, really, I compiled uh, articles. Some okay. of my favorite articles in a book about 15 years ago. Well, I'd like to do another one, but I don't know if I'm up to all that's involved. If I could just, they could take my columns and say, hey, do this, and put it in a book, good. But then they want me to do this, you know, make sure this is right. Check them all, get a picture with each one, and I'm not sure I can do that. But that was good to to have a, have a one book published. The, uh, what's the name of the book? It is Talking Outdoors, I believe. Is it still in print? I mean, could could we like find it somewhere and buy it? Uh, no, okay. it's out. They all. Uh, let's see. My wife probably has it covered with my award I won. <laughs> yeah, he's got some plaques around. Excellence yeah. in craft. Uh, I won those three this year. I see that. Louisiana Outdoor Writers. First place newspaper. First place magazine chart featuring third place newspaper. So. That was down at Thibodeau just a few weeks ago. You're still, and I almost went. I almost, but I didn't know you were going, and I'm not a member of LOA. You but did. they sent me, well, they sent me an invite, and they said, hey, you know, we're inviting non-members, you know, to kind of come see what we're about. And I was so close, but I'm like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to know anybody down there. If I'd have known you were going to be there, oh, I'm a, and I, I think Mr. Kenny went. Oh, no, he didn't go this year. Okay. 
No, me, we got the what we call the Pine Tree Mafia. That's me and Kenny and Terry Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two or three years in a row, we all won prizes and they'd get a picture of us. They call us the Pine Tree uh, Pine Tree Mafia, I think it was. Yeah, and I know you know you know. I think the cool thing about being a member of that is you get to meet people all over the state who oh, are yeah. doing the same mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I mean, you you can you can make contacts and you can bounce ideas off people, and it really it would be beneficial. I know. Yeah. Well, you need to join it. I know. I know. Get in there, Mr. Kenny's been I working think on it. Yeah, I have too. I think you have. Mm-hmm. I think you yeah, have. We need we need more uh, because that's it from North Louisiana. It's me and Kenny and Terry, and that's and well, Terry mostly does historical stuff. You maybe know, I Terry can. Jones. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And maybe I can get on Dusty McGee. He's starting to do a little. Writing I've been working too. on Dusty too. Yeah, to because uh, his stuff, he he's good. He, he does a good job. And, and you know, and if you, if you look at his contents, just like what you were saying, if you're going to get good at writing, you got to write. And I think Dusty, each time his articles are mm-hmm. are better than yeah. the one before. And uh, no, I've been after Dusty and you mm-hmm. to. Y'all need to join us there because when I went, of course, we didn't have the Louisiana Outdoor Writers Conference for two years because of the COVID. And the one at Thibodeau was not very well attended. We just didn't have it, just discouraging a little bit. Make one of the Southeastern Outdoor Press that I've been a member of. I'm one of the earlier first members of it. Has I, They're voting to fold or to merge with another one. So because of lack lack of interest and uh, lack of sponsors and that kind of stuff. And uh, so it's sad to see all that sort of stuff happening. Yes, sir. Well, let me talk, let me ask you. We're going to end it up with this. You know, you influenced me as a young person, but it wasn't necessarily, I didn't realize it at the time how much you were influencing me. And, and I wish I'd have caught the writing bug before I did. So let's say there's a young person out there right now that, that, admires you know things that they see on the internet with you doing or mr kenny or dusty or whoever you know and they they're thinking how do i get, how do i start that you got any advice for somebody well i've had people ask me the same thing and i say if you can do like i did find your little weekly paper and that will let you write and you learn by doing that's mm-hmm. it that's that is the very best advice i can give somebody that you know, there's some folks that maybe they say they want to write, but they don't have a natural gift for it. But there are others like you and like Dusty that I think are gifted. I think y'all have got what it takes to do it. If but it to do it, you got to do it. You do and do it You're regularly exactly right. on a regular basis. That was my one thing there with Homer, is I had to have him something every week, and. Uh, it was, and I learned by doing it. Then once I did, then joining the writers' organizations and getting to meet the real showing off writers, you know, helped so much. Well, you know that old saying, "Iron sharpens iron." Mm-hmm. So when you get around that's better, true. you get better. Yeah, that's and that's true. where being a part of an organization like that, yeah, would really come in handy. I know. So yeah. Well, Mr. Glenn, I really appreciate you letting me come by here and. Like I said before, you've told, uh, there's no telling how many stories you have written about people. And it just was on my heart to let you tell your story in your own words. I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. And again, I appreciate you for for what I know in my dear writing stories that I do for Disney Sportsman every week. 
I appreciate you for I can call you if I what about this particular guy and you'll give me the details on it. So you've been a help to me on that. Well, I know how hard it is to track folks down. Sometimes oh, yeah. it can be a booger bear to yeah. to get people and then not only get them but to get them to talk. That's it. You know, some folks, well, and, and I love when they say this, and I know you've had this happen too. Say, well, it ain't much of a story. <laughs> and then when you start peeling back layers of the onion, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, I, I, you're having to draw them out. I get somebody sometimes, well, I'm just sitting there, and that sucker stepped out, and I shot him. I hear what the same I, thing. I say, okay, let's back up. <laughs> you're sitting in that stand. What are you looking at? Are you looking at a thicket? Are you looking at a food plot? Uh, what time of day just happened, you know? Oh, uh, and and then too, you know, when he stepped out, did had you seen any deer before then? Just try to build the story. You know, you have to put you have to put stuff together to make a story out of it. And sometimes the longer you talk to them, oh yeah, the they'll more come. they'll warm up, and man, they will tell. They'll just really start throwing it. They tell you more out. than you really need. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And then it takes so long to cipher through the information that they gave you yeah. to get you know twelve hundred words or eight hundred words, whatever mm-hmm. you're after, and it's just like my goodness gracious. If you'd have told me this 20 minutes ago, I could have already been finished with the article. <laughs> That's right. Well, but Mr. Glenn, fun. I really, really appreciate you, you for this. Brilliant. It's great to come by and, and see Miss Kay. And, uh, you know, and, and like I said, I'm looking forward to reading more stuff from you this year. All right, buddy. Well, I'll be keeping, like I said in my 50-year article, 50-year anniversary article, that as long as these fingers keep working, their brain don't quit all they're going to keep doing it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Mr. Glenn. Appreciate you, buddy. So that's all for this podcast, guys. I hope you liked it. This guy is a huge part of my life. He has helped me out in more ways than I can think of. So the three takeaways from the Glenn Harris interview. Number one, be a mentor. Always strive to be a mentor. And guys, find you a mentor if you don't have one. Now, a mentor is just somebody that you're going to take advice from or give advice to. Now look, folks, don't go to giving some unsolicited advice. Make it some legit advice that somebody's going to need some help with. And uh, and be that positive vibe in somebody's life. Number two, hone your craft. Whatever you're doing, I don't care if you're a lawn boy, if you're out there cutting grass for a living, or if you're an outdoor writer, do it the best you can be. I mean, sit down and say, I'm going to be the best at whatever I'm doing that ever lived. Hone your craft and own it, man. I'm telling you, that is the best way to advance in anything you're doing and lastly iron sharpens iron proverbs 27 17 says as iron sharpens iron so one person sharpens another glenn put himself in position to be around people who were notable in what he wanted to accomplish he got better he bounced ideas off people and therefore he has been doing it for 50 years successfully that's all i've got for this podcast guys my name is greg hicks This is the Antlers and Hicks podcast, and I want to encourage you guys to live life past 20 yards. I'll see you next time.